continuing on in the book of Exodus this morning and encourage you guys to open your copies of God's word with me as we get to Exodus chapter 13. We are going to do the last half of chapter 13 and then the entirety of chapter 14 today, which might sound like a lot, but it is a story that many of you guys are probably familiar with. This is kind of what all of Exodus has been building to this moment, right? Where God's people have left Egypt but they're still kind of in the wilderness. They're still kind of being pursued by Pharaoh. And now God is going to finally deliver his people totally out of the hand of the Egyptians. Uh, last week, as we were reading through a little bit of chapter 12, a little bit of chapter 13, we saw how God was kind of teaching his people of what they are to do as he delivers and as he redeems them. And uh, we saw basically what, what God did is he taught them, here's what I do. I deliver and I redeem. And then he taught the people, so, so here's what you do. You remind yourselves and others of this work. So the, the picture that's kind of been building over the past three weeks is uh, two, uh, about three weeks ago, we saw how really this is what God does. He delivers. He redeems. He draws us back into his presence. And then you see the first thing God does is he teaches us to remind ourselves of that work. And now as we're reminding ourselves that work, the, the third kind of piece that follows what we're studying today is now he, he leads us to trust it, right? So it's kind of how if you're in elementary school and a teacher told you something, you kind of had to just believe it, right? When you're a little kid, you don't know better. If they tell you two plus two makes four, you go, okay, sure, you know? So, so you see God kind of teaching his people. They don't really have a concept of what he's talking about. Uh, they did historically, but again, they'd been in slavery for over 400 years. So understandably, they're a little bit rusty. So you see him teach them. You see him remind them of what they are to do. And as they're being reminded now, we see they're going to learn to trust him. Because honestly, it, this, this work is not easy. I mean, it, it's easy for me to say, okay, Here's our mission, here's our vision, here's our values, here's the work that we want to do to remind ourselves of what God does and, and who he is to us. But in reality, this, this work is not easy, and it's one that uh, we greatly struggle with. And even if, even if we don't understand it, or even if we don't struggle with it, church, and we understand the work that we're called to do, and we try to undertake this work, we've, we've talked about this on, on several Sundays, that, that there's spiritual opposition, Right. That, that sometimes we can know what to do. We can start to do it and we come under attack. So there is a lot of potential for hardships as we endeavor this work. And, and I don't necessarily say that to frighten anybody this morning, but to say realistically, uh, you guys have seen over the past three years as you've walked through faithfully kind of guiding the church into new seasons. It's not easy. And, and stuff just kind of comes up left and right out of anywhere. OK, so. We want to be realistic, and it's, we are grateful that we serve a God who, in his word, as he teaches us, as he reminds us, he also leads us to trust this work. So where we're going today in chapter 13 uh, and chapter 14, God teaches us to trust his deliverance and redemption. Guys, that as we are faithful to this work that God has called us to do, he teaches us to trust this work. And as he, he's teaching us to trust this work, he does so by revealing our salvation and reclaiming his glory. So our, the main point, again, God teaches us to trust his deliverance and redemption as he reveals our salvation 
and he reclaims his glory. We're going to begin in chapter 13, verse 17. And I'm going to read all the way through the end of chapter 14, and we'll, guys, just listen to the story in its fullness, as then we'll go back and, and talk about what's, what's taking place here. So beginning in verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, Now God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. Now the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Harath, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and he overtook them in camp by the sea, by Pihahirath, in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Now the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood between them, coming in between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. 
Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, they watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, now stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts that Pharaoh had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Father, we are grateful that we get to see this morning kind of, it feels like what everything has been building to. God, we're grateful that this is not the end of the story. Lord, the, the book doesn't end right here, and we are going to continue to see, God, what you desire of us in the coming chapters. But God, we've been seeing you teach your people and walk with them through understanding who are you and what do you do, God. And as you've been teaching us what that is and how to remind ourselves of it, Lord, we, we acknowledge before you that this is, on one hand, it's very difficult for us to comprehend, right? God, we, we know that you work to deliver and redeem. We, we don't know all the ins and outs. We don't know all your details. Father, on the other hand, even if we did know, God, there, there are battles that are before us that we are not capable of overcoming apart from you. And so, God, as, as we come before you this morning having a, a little bit better idea of who you are and what you do, but God being very, very aware of our, our need for you and our need to be led by you, God, may we learn to trust you to see uh, just what your people saw, God, as, as you delivered them by your mighty hand and as you got your glory back. And it is in your holy name we pray. Amen. So as we... As we cover all of this this morning, church, there's, there's a lot going on. But the, the very first thing we see God doing as he has he's showed the people what he, is, what he is and what he does, he's now taught them what he is and what he does, he's called them to remind themselves, now he's teaching them to trust. And I think it's, it's interesting that he does this in, in two different ways, right? In verses uh, 17 and 18 of chapter 13, you see that God knows the Israelites are going to face hardship. Specifically, they're going to face an army if they try to go through the land of the Philistines. So he leads them around the land of the Philistines. He doesn't let them walk through this, this very real, very present danger. Even though we do see in verse 18, the people say, I mean, we are, we are ready for battle. It is interesting. God knows 
they're not really ready for battle, right? They have been living oppressed and beaten down for 400 years. They, they may think that they're ready, but they are not truly ready to handle the Philistines. So God, he kind of, he, he spares them as he's teaching them to trust in his ability to deliver and redeem. The first thing he does is he actually leads them around a hardship, which is really cool. But then you also see in the next several verses, he's going to now lead them through a hardship. Right? So in verses 17 and 18, he leads them around the hardship, knowing that they're not quite sure where he's at. And, and actually, before he leads them through a hardship, he gives them a very clear and present reminder of who he is and what he does in verses 19 through 22. He knows that as he's leading them, they're still learning about who he is and what he does. So he gives them a, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. The, the pillar of cloud going before them, reminding him that he is, he is leading them. He, he's the one that is doing the work. And then he gives them the pillar of fire, reminding him of his presence, that even, even at night, the light is still with them. We talked last week about how light in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is a big picture that the Jews understood of God's presence with his people. So we see that as God is leading them around the hardship, He's reminding them, I'm the one at work, and I'm right there with you. And it's interesting now that as you move into chapter 14, they stay right there. The pillar and the cloud we see in verse 22, they did not depart from the people. So whether God is leading them around the hardship or whether he's leading them through the hardship, his, his leadership, his presence, they're still right there. In verses 1 through 9, you see that God is preparing his people to walk through the hardship. So he's led him around it. Now he's going to lead him through it. He tells Moses in verses one through three to make it look like they are wandering in the land, right? God, God wants the people to make it look like they have no clue what they are doing so that Egypt will see this and go, they don't know what they're doing. And why did we let them go again? And, and then the Egyptians get stirred up and they go after them in verses five through eight. And we see in verse nine, they get, they get very close to the point where Israel can the Egyptian army coming at them. So in verses 10 through 18, I, I love in verse 10, it says the people feared greatly. Sure, in chapter 13, verse 18, when God was leading them around the hardship, they're described as being equipped and ready for battle, feeling like they could take on the world. And now as soon as they encounter a, an obstacle, they're, they're totally afraid. And it's like they have forgotten everything that God has done. Um, guys, just as a quick aside, this this is our tendency, okay? This is not something unique to just the people of Israel. Our, our God knows this about us, that as he's teaching us to trust in him, his thoughts and his ways and who he is is so far above us, he knows we can know it one moment and forget it the very next. So as, as the people start to fear, just listen to some of the statements that they make, okay? Because this is where we get to in, in when we get afraid of the opposition, in verses 11 through 12, you see that they're turning against Moses, right? Moses, the one who has led them out of Egypt, the one who God has set up to be his Messiah figure, the one who's going to lead the people out of slavery, they've turned against him. And now not only have they turned against him, but they have said that it would be better for them to go back into slavery to Egypt than to die in the wilderness, I don't know about you, but I, 
it, it is amazing that, that as they are learning and they're seeing who God is and what he does, and that as God is teaching them to, to, you know, to trust him, to remind themselves of this work, the very first obstacle they encounter, they say, we wish we were back in slavery than out here in the wilderness. In verses 13 and 14, Moses calls the people to trust God's deliverance. And I think it is amazing that Moses really, he doesn't really come down hard on the people, right? There, there will be times as we move throughout Exodus that Moses gets very angry at the people of God for their lack of faith. But right here, we see Moses is very gracious. He just says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And verses 15 through 18, you see God respond, kind of also calling them to trust him, but kind of also calling them out on their fear. And he calls them out and tells them, I, I will do the work that I've promised you to do. Do you really think it's better to go back? Do you think I might not quite be done with the work that I'm doing yet? God reminds his people he knows exactly what he's doing. So this, this picture we get of, of the people wrestling but God ultimately teaching them to trust his work both as he leads them through hardships and around hardships. Guys, what this means for us, church, is, is two key things before we move on. I think first it means hardship is not an indicator of the level of God's faithfulness. There are sometimes we get in seasons where it feels like nothing is going right and, and everything is difficult and there's something that's out to get us and, and we just we can't we can't catch a break. Guys, hardship is not an indicator of how faithful God is to you. If you find yourself in one of those seasons, it, it is not right for us to look at and to go, man, well, God must not be faithful to me in the place that I am. Because we see whether God is leading the people around the hardship or whether he's leading them through it. What do you see in verse 22? The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart. From before the people, God's presence, God's leading has never left, regardless of the circumstances that the people find themselves in. Okay, God, God is faithful. He chose to protect his people, right, by leading them around the problem when he knew they would not be able to handle that initial problem. So they get a little bit of a win in their book to remind themselves, oh, yeah, God is, God is at work. God is doing what he can do. But then at the, the next moment, when he leads them through a hardship, it, it's the exact same thing. He uses the threat of the attack to call not just Israel to himself, but guys, also notice God is including the Egyptians in this work, right? God is working to reveal his glory, not just to Israel, but to Egypt. And Egypt does not get to see this if they are not included, if God's people do not encounter this. So as God is working whether he leads us to avoid hardships as individuals, as a church, or whether he leads us to them. Guys, it is not an indicator of if God is more or less faithful to us and to him be the glory for why he chooses to work in the way he does. I just, I want to encourage you, if you feel like you are in a season where you just cannot catch a break, right? It is not an indicator as to whether God is more or less faithful to us. The second thing I think it teaches us is hardship leads us to question God's worthiness in our fear of the unknown, right? This is a very, very common response throughout the whole of Scripture. This is very common of us today, and we see this in the people of Israel here. They assumed that the hardship 
meant God was not worth it. That following God, they, I mean, literally, they tell God we'd rather go back into slavery where we had it comfortable. Really, comfortable is not the right word. I, I think known is the word. They would rather go back to what was known to them, even if it meant going back into slavery. They'd rather be in the known than in the unknown. And if you guys remember why God has been calling the people into the wilderness throughout this whole narrative of Exodus over and over and over again, God calls the people to the wilderness so they can serve him. We talked about how that word serve is, is one meaning worship. He's calling his people to be with him. And they're saying we would rather go back to the unknown but living in bondage to sin than to go live free but in the unknown of life with God. This is what the people of Israel are declaring. And this, this is where hardship places us, guys. It leads us to question God's worthiness. We gravitate toward living in the comfort of what we know, even if it is sin, even if we know it's broken. We'd rather stay there than be led into the presence of God where, where things are unknown, right? We, we don't know what certain situations might look like. We don't know exactly what his, his specific little details are. But hardship should not cause us to doubt God's worthiness or, or doubt his ability to deliver and to redeem to begin with. In fact, hardship points us back to our need to trust in God for the work that he does in delivering and redeeming because our hardship comes from our sin, right? How, how many times, guys, I've lost track, but how many times throughout the book of Exodus have you seen Pharaoh's heart, the Egyptian's heart, somebody's heart being hardened, and as a result, it creates hardship and burden on other people, right? Our, our, our sin, our hardship... It, our hardship results from our sin. So to say that our, our, it would be natural that our hardship would lead us to question, well, is God really worth it? Because it's, it leads us back into the comfort of what is known, even though what is known is not always the presence of God. So I, I encourage you guys, as, as we move forward as a church, and as many of you guys just in your personal lives are, are in these seasons where things do not feel like they are right, Okay, that is a natural place for us to be. We see the people of God right here in this place. Okay, but please do not do not let it be an indicator to you of man. Is God really faithful to me as I'm following him? And, and remember that man. a lot of the hardship we face is purely because we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world where you and I are we are affected by sin. This is where our hardship comes in that it's, it's not of God. So it's not for us to question whether he's worthy or not because things are more difficult as we learn to follow him. So as God is calling his people to trust in his deliverance and his redeeming, we see two things taking place as a result. Two things that God is doing to kind of encourage his people in their trusting work. And the first is that he's revealing their salvation. Right, so that is, as God is teaching the people to trust him, he's reminding them of the fact very visibly that he has delivered and he has redeemed his people. If you look back down at verses 15 through 18, you see that God addresses Israel's distrust in him because of their fear of Egypt by showing them exactly what he's going to do. He's going to part the sea so that they can pass through on dry ground, but then he's going to cover it back so that Egypt will not be permitted to pass. 
in verses 19 through 20, he gives them another visible reminder of his, his presence and protection by he, he sends his angel to go between them, right? So they literally see this, uh, this cloud, this, this pillar of cloud in between themselves and the Egyptians. And all night long, even though Egypt is right there, the people are protected. So they're given a very visible reminder that God has placed himself in between them and the hardship of the Egyptians. In verses 21 through 29, you see he carries out his salvation plan exactly as he told them he would. He parts the sea for Israel to pass through in verses 21 and 22. He throws the Egyptians into a panic and he causes their chariots to get stuck in the mud, 23 through 25. And then he covers the sea back over them, fulfilling what Moses said in, in verse 13 when he said, these Egyptians who you see today, you will never see again. In verse 30, Moses gives this summary that the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore as the people of God trusted, right? It would have been terrifying to walk through the sea with the water on your right hand and on your left hand side, right? It, it, you would you take a couple steps and go, Okay, so this is cool, but this is going to come on top of me at any moment. And, and you're not just walking across like the New River down in McCoy. You're, you're, you're going to see. Okay, this is not a short journey where you are consistently having to be reminded, man, this whole thing could topple on me at any moment. And yet, here is God leading me through this with the waters parted. What a, what a powerful visual reminder to the people and, and a literal act of their salvation, right, that the Israelites are getting to encounter. And as they are trusting him, as they do walk through, as they see that he is fulfilling his word to them, they're able to very clearly see their salvation. Church, I think this, this leads us to understand we, we fail to see God's salvation at work in our lives when we fail to trust his deliverance and redemption. Right? When the people of Israel were afraid, they, they totally forgot that God was still at work, not, not just delivering them, but redeeming them, of, of saving them from their present situation, but also bringing them into his presence. They believed it would be better to go back into slavery. To, 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 this was not a kind place for them. They were being beaten and oppressed for 430 years, and they would rather that than face whatever could come being in God's presence. Guys, fundamentally, we miss out on salvation, on life with God, when we don't trust in Christ as the one who has made our deliverance and redemption possible. I mean, the, the, the core of our faith is built on Christ as our Savior, the one who delivers us, and Lord, the one who redeems us, who leads our lives to be with God. So we, we miss this fundamentally if our lives are not given to Christ. But we also miss out on this as followers of Christ when we fail to remind ourselves of God's deliverance and redemption, which is exactly what we talked about last week, right? How can we trust in something that we, we don't remind ourselves of? All over scripture, we see God at work delivering and redeeming. We talked last week about this. This is in part why prayer and time in the word are so vitally important to the life 
of the believer, if we don't engage with God in his word, seeing, hey, look at this, God delivers and God redeems. Well, I'd totally forgotten that. If we don't engage through prayer, telling God, God, I know that this is the work that you are doing. Here's how I see this in my life. Thank you. Or God, here's where I don't see this in my life. Would you, would you help me see where you are at work? If we don't engage with these daily rhythms of being with God, of course we're not going to see his salvation at work because we're not trusting that he is the one who delivers and redeems. And guys, I, I, it, is, it, is, it is a constant prayer of mine that we would never get to the point that as a church or as an individual that we would settle to say, I would rather go back to what I know, even though what I know is probably not right, probably, well, maybe it doesn't feel so bad. It just might not be the best way that we would settle with that because we're just not sure of what life with God would actually look like. It, we fail to see God's salvation when we don't trust his deliverance and redemption. And the guys, the second thing that we're seeing here kind of leads us to our last point, that our trust in God's deliverance and redemption is directly tied to how we give glory to God. This is what Moses has been pointing out if we, if we go back and look through the verses. In chapter 13, verse 19, Moses notes that he takes the bones of Joseph with him. Right? Now, this is kind of an odd commentary. Uh, why would Moses talk about bringing the bones of a dead guy with him in the land? This is actually a very, very visual reminder to the people of God of, of something that they would have known have been very familiar with. At the end of Genesis, Jacob, who was renamed by the Lord, Israel, he passes the covenant blessing between God and his people to Joseph out of all of his brothers. In chapter 49, verse 26, it says, the blessings of your, this is, the, this is Jacob speaking to Joseph. Jacob says, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of even my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. When the people went down into Egypt, Joseph left a reminder to his brothers and to his, his nieces and nephews, his family, his sons, when he tells them, hey, God will come. This is not the promised land. This is not the place where God is going to have you dwell with him. When you leave to go to that place, take me with you. Even if I am long dead, dig me up and take me with you. Guys, this bringing the bones was a visual reminder that God's covenant was still with them. That, that God has not forgotten his people. God has still been with them the entire time that they have been in Egypt. And by bringing the bones out, they're seeing the covenant is not going to stay back here. The covenant is going with us. It is an act of God reclaiming and reminding the people of his glory. In chapter 14, you see in verses 4 and 17 and 18, this phrase that gets repeated, God says, I will get glory over Pharaoh. I will get glory over Egypt. I will get glory Guys, as God is at work teaching the people to trust, as he's at work revealing their salvation to them, he is also at work reclaiming his glory. He calls out that what he's about to do is, is not just to save his people, right? If that wasn't enough, it's not just to save them, it's to reclaim his glory. Pharaoh's heart was hard because he was hoarding glory, right? He kept saying, who is this God? In fact, that's one of the first things when most 
send the people go before Pharaoh and they say, hey, let us go. Our God has told us to go worship him. Pharaoh's initial response that has carried throughout the last 10 chapters has been, who is this God? Who is this God? I mean, he, he's, he's stronger than I am. Pharaoh's heart has been hardened, so he has been hoarding glory that has rightfully belonged to God. Therefore, God was going to reclaim his glory, and in doing so, he's not just going to reveal it to his people in Israel, but to Egypt, to all the nations as well. And guys, if you look at verse 31, you see Moses' summary statement of really the whole Exodus account up until this point. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. That is, God is teaching us to trust in his deliverance and redemption. He's revealing our salvation to us. They're finally seeing it. But they're also finally learning to give glory to God because God is at work reclaiming his glory. Why is this important for us to note, church? Because our trust is directly tied to our glory. If we do not give glory to God, whatever part of our lives are we not glorifying God in, it's a statement on our half before God that we do not trust him, right? The essence of Pharaoh's hard heart came because he said, who is this God, right? I don't know a thing about him. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't trust him. So I'm not going to give him glory. Guys, it, it, is, it, it, it might require a shift in the way that, that we talk about sin because sometimes we get a very casual approach toward, you know, we, toward, toward our sin. I mean, we, in, in many conversations I have, it, it's almost like we've created a kind of an in-between place where it's not really following God, but it's not as bad as some of, you know, maybe some of the explicitly called out sins in the Bible. So there's, there's like a gray neutral area that we, we're content to live in. And guys, if, if God is coming to reclaim his glory, he is saying, there is, there is no neutral. There is no in-between. You are either giving glory to me or you are keeping it for yourself. You may not be giving it to others, but you're still withholding something that is rightfully mine. And so as God is teaching us to trust, he is coming to reclaim his glory. Guys, in, in the areas of our lives that we, are, we bristle against giving him glory in, it, it's a statement on our end that we don't trust him. Okay, this, this is why we have been talking about this for several weeks. And the, the, last, the last very big thing that this teaches us, especially from verse 31, guys, the language of, of fear, faith, and glory are, are inseparably intertwined. If you look down at verse 31, you see the people feared. They saw the great power. They feared the Lord, and they believed in him. The, the Hebrew there, just, just so you guys hear the, the beauty of the original language, it says, Vayeru ha'am yet Yehovah, the people feared the Lord. And that verb with it carries the idea of giving glory of giving reverence, of giving honor. And the very next statement, as they are glorifying, fearing God, they believed in the Lord, and they believed in his servant Moses. Not only as they were fearing and glorifying God, were they able to finally 
believe in who God is and what he's doing. They're also believing in the one that God has sent to deliver and redeem his people. His messianic figure that we've said throughout the book is Moses pointing a picture towards the coming Messiah of Jesus. As they are fearing God and glorifying him, they are able to believe not in just who God is and what he's doing, but also in the picture of Christ, in the picture of the one who God would send. Guys, we, we have a, a phrase that has been thrown out a lot in the past several years, but it's been around for generations, right? Faith over fear. I think we need to correct it a little bit this morning. Faith derives from fear. And that feels very uncomfortable, but it is as the people see the work that God is doing, they fear. It is this fear, though, that is a picture of glory. And so as they fear God, they are able to have faith. Faith derives from fear. And I want to encourage you guys, many of us struggle with our faith because we don't fear God. Many of us struggle with, with growing deeper and, and drawing nearer to God simply because we have areas we don't really want to glorify him in. Right, that, that we're content. We know that there's some things God needs to change about us, but ultimately that feels kind of overwhelming to let him have free reign of everything. I, I don't want to really believe that, man, my faith might change a lot more than I'm comfortable with. And so, so we're, we're content. We have areas where we don't truly fear, give glory to God. And as a result, right, if we're seeing right here that as the people see God, they fear him and they believe in him, Guys, without that missing piece, we are not led into faith. And so I, I want to just encourage you as we wrap up this morning, just look at the priority. And I don't know if, if you've realized it throughout this whole book, but God has placed a very, very high priority on fearing him. All the plagues, all the acts of remembrance, all these things being done to teach the people to give glory to him. Right, that this is what God has been after. Our sin hardens our hearts so that we fight to keep glory ourselves. So it shouldn't surprise us that as God is teaching us to give glory to him, he's coming back for his glory. In reality, we, we cannot have faith without fear, without being overcome with reverence, with the awe of who God is and desiring to glorify him in all of our lives. Guys, because as we glorify God, we see his salvation, and, and this enables us to trust in his deliverance and his redemption. So as we respond today, uh, I think I'm going to lead us in a collective moment of prayer, specifically over the glory issue, okay? Because I, when, I, when we look at the church and we look at many people that would identify with the, the Christian ideology today, there's a lack of fearing God. Right? There's a lot of language regarding fear, but very little of it comes back to a place of, if my God is who he is and he does what he says he does, <laughs> that means something very, very real to my life that a lot of other things don't even really matter at this point. And so I want to lead us in a couple different ways. First, if, if there's some who have never chosen to give glory before, to God in their lives, right? This, this language of receiving salvation that we talked about last week, I, I want to invite you to bring this to God today. May, 
we have to decide, first and foremost, we are going to trust his work, right? That we see the work, we see that he delivers and he redeems, and so we, as we see it, we choose to trust it. But there also may be some that are, have just felt like, man, I'm in a season of struggling to bear God's image, right? That, that I just, it doesn't, it feels like no matter what I do, something is it's just not quite right. Something is missing. And so if this is you today, I, I encourage it. It may just because we're feeling overwhelmed, because we, we've forgotten who God is and what he does. It may be that there's some unrepentant sin that we need to address and call out before the Lord. I mean, it could be a whole host of reasons, guys, but if, if this would describe you today, I encourage you to bring this also to God in prayer, to remind ourselves, hey, God, I trust that you deliver and you redeem. And God, I know that what you have desired of me is to give you the glory with my life. And I'm sorry <laughs> that there's areas of my life that I choose to hold on to the glory and keep it from you instead. Guys, as the Spirit leads you to respond today, pray with me. Oh God, whose will conquers all, there is no comfort in anything apart from enjoying thee and being engaged in thy service. Thou art all in all, and all enjoyments are what to me makes thou makest them and no more. All enjoyments are what to me thou makest them and no more. I am well pleased with thy will, whatever it is, or should be in all respects. And if you bids me decide for myself in any affair, I would choose to refer all to thee, for thou art infinitely wise and cannot do amiss as I am in the danger of doing. I rejoice to think that all things are at thy disposal, and it delights me to leave them there. Then prayer turns wholly into praise, and all I can do is adore and bless thee. What shall I give thee for all thy benefits? I'm in a strait betwixt two, knowing now what to do. I long to make some return, but I have nothing to offer. And I can only rejoice that thou doest all, that none in heaven or on earth shares thy glory, thy honor. I can of myself do nothing to glorify thy blessed name, but I can, through grace, cheerfully surrender soul and body to thee. I know that thou art the author and the finisher of faith. That the whole work of redemption is thine alone. That every good work or thought found in me is the effect of thy power and thy grace. That thy sole motive working in me to will and to do is for thy good pleasure. Oh God, it is amazing that men can talk so much about man's creaturely power and goodness. When if thou didst not hold us back every moment, we should be devils incarnate. This, by bitter experience, thou hast taught me concerning myself. Father, we as, as individuals and as a church family desire to glorify you. God, we know not exactly what the road ahead looks like. Lord, we know that there are certain things that you have called us to do. And God, we are excited we are ready to follow you wholeheartedly into them. God, address our fears. God, so often we are afraid at things other than you. God, for, for some of us, we have done this so long that our view of you has gotten kind of small over time. That we, we feel like we have to do things to add 
add to who you are to, you know, flesh out things in our lives. Father, for the past 13 weeks, we have been reminded of the place we, we have before you, God. We don't have life apart from you. God, we, we are consigned to the reality in our life apart from you of being bound to sin. God, as the people of Israel were enslaved to Egypt, so are we enslaved to our sin. God, we are grateful for the work. <laughs> grateful doesn't even feel like it's a strong enough word, God, but we are grateful for the work that you have done in making deliverance and redemption possible. God, you have made a way for us to be set free from our bondage to sin. You have made a way not just for us to be set free, but to be brought into new life, God. A life that is not just covers part of who we are, but God, we, we have died to our former selves. We have taken up the life of Christ as our own. God, everything has changed as a result. Father, may we not be content with anything less. Father, we pray, especially over this church family, as we move forwards, God, we know, we know from experience it's not an easy work. God, we don't take this work because we think it's going to be easy. God, we undertake the work of being with you because we want, we want to, Father. We desire to be right with you. We desire to be in your presence. Father, may that desire within us never fade. Father, when, when competing desires, competing things for our attention and our time and our energy and our efforts, Father, when those things come up, may you remind us time and time and over and over and over again, Father, thank you that you do this over and over again and never grow weary and reminding us of who you are and what you have done. Lord, may we be content to stay in that place with you as we are excited and we anxiously await, God, we want to see your work of revival done in our church family. We want to see your work of revival done in this community, God, and we believe that you have ordained us to play an active role in that work alongside of you. God, as we, we look to undertake this work, Father, in, in ways that we have done for years and have seen your faithfulness and your, your goodness, God, in, in working with children and working with the least of these in our community and, and just surrounding others in your, your love. God, we expect that we will continue to see you at work. God, as, as we work to, to build new relationships with, with members of our community, as we work to continue uh, the work of, uh, of praising you on Sunday mornings, as we look to join together in small groups, as we look to, to be consistently in prayer together, as we look to, to serve one another, to care for one another well, Father, through, through deacons. God, we expect to see you at work. We want to be with you. We want to be right with you. May that desire not fade as we move forwards together, God. And, and praise be to you for your son who has made us right with you, that this is not a struggle in vain, but this is following one who has already been victorious. Praise be to a God who has left us with his spirit, literally dwelling within us, God, that we are capable of living with you because you have come to dwell inside of us. God, may the, the beauty and the reality of that never fade. 
from our lives. As the, the praise team comes back up, Father, may we be able to give you glory one more time before we leave this place to then give you glory as we go through this week, Lord. In your holy name we pray.